he used to do it uh, properly, as in he, you know, he used to get paid uh, to do it. And uh, he uh, took me on a, a gardening trip with him to do an old people's nursing home. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't know the difference really between a weed uh, and a plant. I don't know if you've ever had the same problem in your garden, knowing which uh, bit is which. And uh, I managed to go around pulling up all the plants uh, and leaving all the weeds. Uh, so I, I'm really not very good at, as, as a gardener, but later on in life I'm expecting uh, to be so. My, both my grandparents were very good at gardening. Why am I talking about gardening? That seems a bit of a strange subject to start with. Well, ministry is a bit like gardening. Uh, that's not just me that thinks that, that's a biblical image that's used. Think of the phrase, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Now, that's not talking about plants, is it? It's not saying uh, that they you know, had a side uh, thing on, on gardening. That's actually saying that they're talking about people. Uh, so I want you to imagine, as we start this morning, imagine two churches as vines on trellises. Trellises are those things that sort of zigzag and cross over where a, a vine grows. One has an immaculate trellis. You know, it's uniform, all the bits of wood are nicely arranged, it's painted well. But on it, what you have is a withered vine. Stopped growing long ago and started to die. The other trellis uh, has bits sort of stuck onto it. Uh, it doesn't look very neat. Uh, parts of the paintwork need a bit of redoing. But the vine has busted through lots of the woodwork. It's grown out of the vine, out of the trellis. The vine is healthy and growing. And this really is a picture of ministry. So our statement today that we're, we're talking about is that we believe that every believer, uh, we believe every believer uh, has a responsibility to minister to other believers, but some are set apart to full-time ministry. And I want us to use that image of the trellis and the vine to help us think about it. So trellis really is the structures that we have as a church, the programmes, the rosters, the meetings. But the vine is the actual growth, the pushing on of people to maturity, people coming into the church and becoming Christians. To work on the trellis is to tinker with programmes and systems. To work on the vine is to work with people, pushing one another on to growth. And my first point this morning is that every Christian is a vine worker. Every Christian is a vine worker. What I mean by that is all of us are involved in growing the vine. All of us are involved in pushing on one another to spiritual maturity. Now what's at stake if we, as we talk about this? What, what's really at stake? Well, I want to argue that your own spiritual health is at stake if we don't get this right. Now if you were here on the away day, we talked about an arrow uh, that was moving along and we saw that all of us are on that arrow somewhere. It could be that we're, we, we don't know Jesus and we haven't heard of church and we're right away uh, over here. Or it could be that we're uh, just finding out about things. It could be that we've just become a Christian. Or it could be that we're pushing on to maturity. But we're talking really about the second half after we've become a Christian, uh, moving on to maturity. Uh, and if we don't get this right, then our spiritual health is at stake. We'll end up as spiritual Peter Pans who never grow up, uh, who never push on to maturity. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Christ, you're not trusting uh, in Jesus yet, this is a good reminder to you that as you you meet Christians uh, and you chat to them, Christians are works in progress. All of them are on that arrow somewhere. And that means that uh, in our church, as we grow, there'll still be uh, hypocrites, liars and sinners. Welcome to our church, uh, if you're visiting this morning. 
But we're forgiven sinners and liars and hypocrites. And more than that, we're being changed into the likeness of Christ. So please do remember that as you, you meet Christians, that actually all of us are our works in progress. All of us are pushing on to maturity. And that's what we mean by spiritual health, being changed to be more like Jesus. But it's not just our own spiritual health that's at stake with this. Actually, the person next to you's spiritual health is at stake as well. Perhaps you're happy or you don't really care that you've stopped growing as a Christian. Perhaps you're happy to stagnate, but is that okay for the person next to you? Really, as we look at this, it's about loving other people. If we want to love other Christians, we should long for them to be more like Jesus. So if we love other Christians, we've got to get this right. So what do we mean by the ministry of all believers? Well, we mean that every Christian has a part to play. Every Christian is part of the team. There are no spectators in this game, if you like. There are none. Every Christian has different gifts. And there are lots of different lists in scripture. The lists vary. There are all sorts of different things that we have. Gifts of administration, gifts of preaching. We sang about lots of them earlier. God has given us lots of different ways, lots of different ways to help one another, to glorify him. And each of us has gifts. They're not the same, that we're part of that body, aren't we, that we were reading about earlier. But all of us have gifts to build up other people. But gifts do not exclude us from serving in other ways. So, for example, you might find, uh, I've heard people say, well, you know, I've got this particular gift, which means that's what I have to do. I can't do anything else. But suppose for a second, uh, this morning, you have the gift of bagpipes. Uh, this morning, God has given you an amazing gift. I mean, God can give us gifts in musical areas as well. Perhaps you have the gift of playing bagpipes. Must we therefore have them as a church? Must we have bagpipes to help you fulfill uh, your gift? Could you not do anything else in church? See, actually, as we talk about gifts that God has given us, it's not about personal fulfillment. It's not about reaching your own potential, if you like. But Paul and and Jesus consistently point to us that gifts are there for the service of the body. Gifts are given to help us serve one another. So if we find, uh, wait to find our gift, or if we narrow ourselves to say, I have this gift, I can't do anything else, then actually we're not serving other people. Paul tells some people actually in the Bible not to use their gifts at church because they don't build up other people. So as we talk about gifts, we've got to be careful. Because actually all of us have gifts, some special gifts, but also we all have common grace gifts to help us build one another up. We have speech. We can talk to one another. Uh, We have arms. We can help one another uh, in practical ways. We have legs. We can go see each other. And we have homes. Uh, that we can use to minister uh, to other people. We have cars that we can help give lifts to other people as well. So perhaps you have the gift of numbers, uh, for example. Uh, administration is a gift that's lifted in script, uh, scripture. And um, I want to ask the question, must a treasurer only be a treasurer, for example? So uh, we've got um, Steve uh, here this morning. He reminded me as well just tea and coffee. He might have served you tea and coffee this morning. Um, but is Steve only, can he only be a treasurer because he's got uh, maybe a gift of numbers? Maybe you want to argue with that later. Um, but must be a preacher only be a preacher? Is that the only thing that we can do? Uh, so we mustn't be selfish with our God-given gifts and only do the things that we deem that we're gifted to do. 
So, for example, who feels gifted to bleach the loose uh, after the service? I've never had anyone come to me and say, oh, that's, this is a gift that God has given me. Who feels gifted to put away the Bibles? Actually, it's a gift that all of us have because we have uh, bodies. We have ways that we can help. So we must not use our different roles as an excuse not to serve. Uh, but use the gifts that God has given us to serve one another. So where is this in the Bible? If you, you turn back to that passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 to 26. The picture there uh, is of a body. And there are many things that we can see in this passage. I find it so challenging every time uh, I read it through. But you can see a marvellous diversity, can't you, in the body. There are eyes, there are hands, there are noses, there are feet. God has made us all different. Uh, some more different uh, than others. Uh, but he's done that deliberately. Wouldn't it be really boring if we were all the same? What would be the point of, of, of meeting together if we all just agreed with each other and were exactly the same? And also we'd be ineffective if we were all the same. We wouldn't be able to reach uh, different people. We wouldn't be able to help different people if we were all uh, just identical. Just think about it. If there were no eyes, then we'd have no sight. If there were no nose, we'd have no smell. If there were no ears, we'd have no listening. There's a wonderful diversity of gifts. But God as well has given interdependency. That all of us depend on the other. There's a sort of organic nature to it, isn't it? As we're joined together in the body. Do you view yourself as spiritually dependent on the people around you? Connected into their body? God has made it so. So should it surprise us if we struggle, if we're a nose trying to do the work of an eye, when we have a nose right next to us that God has given us? We depend on each other for mission as well. Being a body makes us effective. Uh, we can do more together. Imagine uh, trying to do... Have ever played those silly games where you have to do something really simple but you have to wear a blindfold or you, know, you have to put earmuffs in or, or on? In or on. Um, or you have to have your hands tied out. It's so hard to do those things, isn't it? But it's because part of the body isn't working. That part of the body that could help you in the task. So he's made us dependent on each other. We need each other in, uh, in this job, in this mission that God has given us. And we're to care for each other. Have a look at verse 25. Uh, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. God has given us uh, each other, hasn't he? To care for one another. We're to honour one another and help one another. Uh, think about it. He talks about here those who are, uh, have got less honour, if you like, less privilege. But Jesus says that the servant of all is the master. So we can care for one another. Think about it in your body. You've got a, what if you've got an itch on your back uh, or somewhere on your arm? What do you do? Well, you need your hand to scratch your itch, don't you? It's no good actually just having your, your back. Your back can't do anything about it. I wonder if you've ever had that situation where you just can't seem to reach. Or think about your eyelids. You don't think about your eyelids very often, do you? But they're there to protect your eye. If somebody throws something at you, you immediately your eyes close, don't they? They're there to protect your eye, to care for your eye. Think about when you cut your thumb on something and you've got your mouth to sort of stop it bleeding. That's what we're designed like in the body. We're designed to help one another. We're designed to care for one another in the body. Because we've got different gifts that allow us to do that. This is one of the reasons it's so sad when people leave churches, isn't it? It's a bit like having a part of your body ripped off. 
Like your eye losing your eyelid. We care for one another. We love one another. And God has given us each other to do that. But then also there's a team mentality, isn't there? Have a look at verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. I'm glad that we prayed for the suffering church earlier. It's a wonderful reminder, isn't it? That if one part of the body suffers, all parts of the body uh, suffer with it. But as well, it means that a win for one is a win for all. When you win a, a race, it's not just your legs that win, is it? It's your whole body. When things are going well, when people are growing, it's actually all of us that benefit. And the other way round, though, happens, doesn't it, as well? So when your nose catches a cold, your whole body suffers. And actually your body then needs to care for itself, doesn't it? So God has bound us together to care for one another in a team. God has bound your destiny to the people around you. You belong to them and they belong to you. We're all part of one body, one team, one unit. Do we reflect that in the way that we treat one another? Do we reflect that in the way that we serve one another? So every Christian is a vine work. We all have a part to play with each other. But secondly, every pastor is a part of the body. Every pastor is a part of the body. Pastors are not another species, despite what you might think. And I am not your priest, for example. I'm not a different class of person to you. That's a misunderstanding of ministry. We're all priests to the world, and Jesus is our great high priest. There is no clergy over there and laity over here anymore. There's no hierarchy that we work our way up. Now, there have been attempts through the church's history to try and reinstall those sorts of things. We see it in Catholicism as they reinstall priests and have that hierarchical system. But we as evangelicals can be just as guilty, can't we? Sort of hallowing of preachers as though they're uh, something really, really special. I know a little while ago I went to a conference and the people who were speaking up the front had their own separate room and they had their own separate meals and they had their own separate at times. It just felt weird. We're all actually part of the same body. Pastors are not another species and I'm not your priest. But neither am I your minister. Just take a second to think about this. Neither am I your minister. Let me explain this by way of illustration. If you've got some decorating to do, who'd you get in? Decorator, okay, here we go. Uh, if you've got a plumbing that you need doing, who'd you get in? Plumber, yeah. If you've got ministry that needs doing, you don't get a minister, okay? Don't get a minister. Because actually... All that sort of outsourcing of, of those things, isn't it? You think, well, I can't decorate my house, so I'll get a decorator. Um, I can't do the plumbing, I'll get a plumber. But actually, ministry, if we're, if we're serious about what we've just said, all of us are involved in ministry. All of us are ministers. So biblical ministry, if you like, is a DIY thing. You do it yourself. So who is the minister? Well, we all are, actually. So what am I? <laughs> what am I doing up front uh, then? Well, I am your full-time trainer, your personal trainer without the spandex, your equipper, if you like. Where's that in the Bible? Well, on the back of your uh, notice sheet, you'll see there, there's some verses uh, from Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And we'll see there just what I've been saying. Let me read it to you. 
And he, that's the risen Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint by which it is equipped, and when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see that, that being equipped by those people at the start, you see there, those shepherds and the teachers, to equip the saints for work of ministry. To be equipped in that way is not contrary to that idea of the body. Paul actually gets there with the idea of the body here as well. Actually, it's part of the idea of the body that God has given different parts, different roles. So my role as a pastor is to train, is to equip, equip the saints, that's normal Christians, uh, we're all normal Christians, aren't we? But everyday Christians for works of ministry. That's what the shepherd teachers are to do. That's what we call pastors. So do pastors do ministry then? Well, yes. Yes, they do as part of the body. Not just the upfront stuff either like this, preaching. But pastors are, are there doing the work of ministry in, with our neighbours, with uh, other Christians. But pastors are especially set apart for the task of training others, equipping them for ministry. And the role is so important. The Bible is clear that people can be set aside for this and relieved of the burden of earning a living. So 1 Corinthians 9, at 3 to 7, this is what Paul says about this issue. This is my defence to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right, so it's just a page before, uh, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain uh, from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Paul is adamant that gospel workers need to be provided for. There is a special role there, but it's as trainers. But that's why we have in our statement that some are set aside to full-time ministry. But that's not just pastors. There are actually a plurality of roles, aren't there, there, that people are set aside for. Elders are included in that. Women's workers, children's workers, evangelists. But with all these roles that are set aside here, the focus is actually on the training, the equipping of the body. You don't get in a women's worker to do your women's ministry. You get them to equip the women to do ministry. You don't get a children's worker in to sort of outsource your children's ministry. You get them to train the body to do that. And same with evangelists, but more of that next week. So actually every pastor is part of the body, training, equipping the rest of the body. That's my role in the body. So how do we get this wrong. How do we get this wrong? Well, there's some classic ways that we, we get this wrong, this, this balance between those two. The first one is that we expect the pastor to be eyes, ears, mouth, nose and feet. We expect the pastor to do everything. And believe me, it can be tempting for both sides. Uh, you know, it's tempting for churches to appoint a pastor and expect them to do everything. But it's also tempting for pastors to do everything. 
There's a real feeling sometimes amongst pastors that we need to justify the fact uh, that we're paid, uh, that we're set aside for this. Real vine work ministry is really hard to quantify. It's really hard to put a timesheet on for a pastor of what he's doing. Ministry is often unseen. So it's easier to do visible things. It's easier to do the things that you're seen doing. Measurable things. But they're not the things that a pastor is called to. They're called to be one part of the body, equipping everyone. So we can't expect the pastor to do all the ministry. We can't expect them to do everything. And within that, it robs people of their own ministry, doesn't it? If a pastor does everything, what would you do? <laughs> I suppose you had a, I'm not saying I'm a pastor who can do everything. May, imagine for, for a second that you've got a pastor who can do absolutely everything, from setting out the chairs to serving the tea and coffee to uh, preaching to leading, everything. Would you want that situation? What happens to Paul's wonderful image of the body there, interdependent, loving one another? What happens to other people's gifts in that situation? How do people develop gifts in that sort of environment? And what happens when, when the pastor moves on? What happens to the church then? So I want to argue it's not even desirable even if you could get somebody who would do it all for you. And then thirdly, the reason that's a, a bit of an issue is that it limits growth. It limits growth. Let me ask you a real question again. Uh, I expect to answer not a rhetorical one. Um, how many people can a pastor pastor well? How many people, it sounds like a tongue twister, doesn't it? How many people can a pastor pastor well? Do you reckon? Just give me a number. 150. 150, okay. Higher or lower? Lower. <laughs> okay, let, let, let's leave it there. <laughs> um, I think you're, you're right, it's lower than 150, but churches do tend to get stuck about 150, because that's about the limit, really, that you can cope uh, with those things. But imagine, think, pastors meeting up with people regularly, know people, know their lives, uh, be there when they've got times of need. Not just when there's crisis, pushing them on to maturity. On top of that, there's a responsibility of preaching. Uh, on top of that, there's a responsibility of study, admin, actual life uh, that a pastor has. 150 seems quite, quite big, doesn't it, really? Perhaps if you shrunk it down, maybe to really, really pastor a group well, you'd get about 30 or 40 people. Well, isn't it funny that actually a lot of churches are stuck about the size of about 30 or 40 people? And then the next size they get stuck is about 150, uh, because that's as far as they can go. When you get above those numbers, a pastor can't pastor well. Uh, forget growing from unbelievers. Even if you've got Christians coming in, you can't minister to them well. Because it's one part of the body trying to be all the parts of the body. Just think about this for a second. I cannot do what you do. I can't do it. Imagine for a second that you had a 15-minute chat with someone about how they're doing in their faith. Say you met up with them and, and just shared something that you've been reading in your quiet time, or just caught up with someone. 15 minutes. Um, that would take me... T- that's just in a one week. In one week. 15 minutes in one week. That would take me 10 hours to do the same with our size church. 10 hours to do what would take you 15 minutes. Think about that. What potential do we have as a church if we... Every part is pulling its weight. I can't do everything. The pastor's not supposed to do everything. And actually, all of us are called to teach, to help one another. That verse in Hebrews 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, he's, he's rebuking them, saying you should be teaching one another. Well, isn't that true for us? We should be teaching one another. So that's the first mistake we can make. We expect the pastor to be the eyes, the ears, the mouth, the nose, everything. But it just doesn't work, and it doesn't work for growth. The second mistake we can make, though, is we expect no pastoring. That expresses itself in two different ways. There's a theological rejection uh, of full-time paid ministry. So traditionally the brethren, uh, they rejected the idea of hierarchy uh, and also with that throughout the idea of ministers. But I want to say we can also have a practical rejection uh, of pastoring, a practical rejection of learning uh, and leadership. And I think this is a more common problem that we have as churches. You know, the church has a pastor... But I'm not actually going to do what he says. Or, oh, well, we have a pastor, but he's not going to teach me anything. I don't need that. As though we've already got to the full measure of the, the fullness of Christ, as it works in our, our passage. And I think it's a problem that Timothy had. On your, on your sheet, you'll see there a verse that Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 11 and 12. He gives him uh, some instructions, and he says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Why do you think Paul's writing that to Timothy? Who's despising him for his youth? It's not the outside world, is it? Actually, he's told to set the believers an example. You can also imagine, can't you, Timothy there in his church in Ephesus. As, this, as though this guy's got anything to teach us. As though we're going to let him lead us. Paul just says, let them see your maturity. Let them see your progress. Live it out. Train them in this. So I want to ask this morning, are you teachable? Are you leadable? What would it look like if we were? A pastor is to lead, train and teach. So we mustn't make the mistake of of having a pastor in name only. Because we're not prepared to be trained or led. And then the third mistake we can make is that we make ministry into a profession. We make ministry into a profession. We make ministry the realm of professionals. And as such, it's something that we can't do. We sort of have experts who do it. But God has given every one of us all that we need to do ministry. Have a look with me at 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. It's on the back of your sheet again. This is what God has given everybody. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. God has given every one of us his word and he showed us what it's to be used for, teaching. And the idea there, you might be thinking this is just four words for the same thing but actually it's four different ideas. Teaching, that which is taught. In other words, what we are to believe. Reproof. That's when you call someone to account, show someone their error. So it's sort of what not to believe. So we've got what to believe, what not to believe. And then we've got correction. The idea there is sort of cutting a straight path again, going back onto the the road, a sort of course correction. And that's what not to do, if you like. It's how not to go off the rails. And then finally, training in righteousness. Uh, That's to do with the whole training and education of children. That's where the word comes from. And it includes the training and care of the body. And it's what to do. Uh, if you're wary of that word training, there it is in the Bible. It's actually what the Bible is there for. So actually the Bible is there to tell us what to believe, what not to believe. And what to do and not, what, what not to do. 
And that's what makes it useful. Actually, in every situation in life, the Bible is there to help us, whether we should believe something or not, whether we should do something or not. That's how it makes us competent. So this is not a profession. This is just conversation, isn't it? What could it look like? Well, any chat involving those things. Let me give you some real examples over the years. I remember meeting up with a student when I was in Lancaster. And he just started university. And he told me uh, what he'd been doing in the week. How he'd been going out and getting drunk. And his target for next week was to get drunk less. And I was able to share with him what the Bible says about drunkenness. And he'd never read it. But that was... That wasn't really a, a professional thing. It was just saying, what does, the Bible, actually, what does the Bible say about drinking? Don't know. Well, hang on, let, let me show you about it. Here you go. Or I remember having a conversation with someone where they said, oh, well, God, uh, God is basically like, uh, the Trinity's like God with three different hats on. You know, one time he's, uh, he's got one hat on, he's the Father. Next time he's got another hat on, he's the Son. Another time he's got another hat on, he's the Spirit. I was able to go, where is that in the Bible? Could we maybe, why don't we look at, why don't we look at Jesus' baptism where there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all at the same time? Or when you've just shared with someone what you're reading in your quiet time, that's ministry. Meeting up with someone to read a book of the Bible, uh, like Laura and Caroline were sharing with us earlier. Um, chatting about what the sermon this morning made you think that you should do. That's helping people, isn't it? Know what to do and what not to do from the Bible. Now, Bible verses might be used. As in we read them out, or they might just be alluded to. With a guy who uh, was drinking, it was helpful to be able to go to a verse and say, hang on, this is what's there. But often it's just going to be talking around it, isn't it? Talking about the implications of it. So I'm not talking about going around and sort of shouting scripture at each other. I'm talking about uh, looking at the implications of it. So what are the implications for us? Well, we serve and we support. We serve and we support. We serve in two ways as Christians. The trellis and the vine. There's trellis work and there's vine work. Now I want to say vine work is a hundred times more important than trellis work. A hundred times or more. But trellis work is necessary too. So by trellis work I mean things like there are people who served you this morning with tea and coffee. There are people who set up and set down. There's people who sort out the websites, who do the PowerPoints. If people hadn't done those things then you would have nowhere to sit this morning. We'd all be standing, uh, and uh, perhaps we'd be sort of jogging up and down the spot to keep warm. Uh, but uh, you've got somewhere to sit. You'd have no words to sing from the screen if somebody hadn't done that. If somebody had served you a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, you'd have no caffeine to keep you awake. So we need to serve. All the pastor does all those things, and actually gets shortchanged in everything else that he's supposed to do. So there's trellis work to do. That's one of the ways that we serve. But there's also vine work to do. Isn't there? So it is things like preaching up at the front. It is uh, what Sarah and Carol are doing, teaching the children and, and um, Richard as well. It is things like preaching at Spring Gardens, but it's also talking about the over-coffee question that you've got at the bottom of your sheets. Uh, it's something that could be done while you're on tea and coffee, chatting to people. It's something you can do while you're setting out chairs. You can talk to people about what you've been reading this week. It can be done... On days other than Sunday. I'm not just talking about life groups. Anything that involves those things that we mentioned is ministry. It's ways that we can build one another up. So we're to serve in those two ways. And then we're to support in two ways. The first is financially. In order to make this happen, it needs financing. 
So we should expect the main cost of our church to be people costs. Because ministry is people to people. Uh, Some churches don't recognise this, but I'm actually glad that our church does. We should expect our support of people outside of the church to be people costs too. The world doesn't fund people for gospel ministry. It likes spending money on dolphins, because they look really cute. Uh, But it doesn't generally like funding gospel ministers. So we need to be generous. If we're serious about the spiritual health of other Christians, we need to be supporting other churches as they do this as well. And then finally, the second way that we support is by letting the trainer train. If every part of the body has its part to do, then part of our love for one another is that we let each part of the body do its own work. My job as a pastor is to train, to equip you for works of ministry. Are you eager to be trained? Are you eager to learn, to be equipped to do works of ministry? I'm thinking a bit about the moment, how I can do that as a pastor, how I can help train you over the years to come. What will your attitude be as we do that? So all of us are vine workers. All of us could do it better, unless we're Jesus. All of us need to chip in with the trellis work as well. And we will differ depending on our gifts. But there is something for everybody here this morning to do if you're trusting in Christ. God hasn't put anybody to sit in the church with their gifts under a bushel. God wants us all to play our part. So we should not just be permitting people to use their gifts. We should be encouraging other people to use their gifts and be involved. So what could you do to make Bethel more like the new creation, more like heaven, as we serve one another? What could you do to make your fellow Christian here this morning more like Jesus? How could you serve them as part of the body? And the answer is never nothing. Never nothing. All of us have a part to play. Maybe it will be talking to someone after church. Maybe it will be writing that card to someone. Maybe it will be doing something physical like setting down or doing someone's physical gardening, which I'm no good at, definitely. So you have no excuse All of us can serve and support one another. All of us should serve and support one another. And that's 